Uh, in this sermon series, we're going to walk through the journey of King Solomon as King Solomon learns to think big, and we're going to ask ourselves, are we thinking big as well? And so starting Ecclesiastes verse 1, it says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so King Solomon doesn't refer to himself by name. He refers to himself as the preacher, the son of David. Through clues like that, King Solomon was the son of David. Through clues like that in the text itself, as well as historical documents outside of the Bible, uh, we know that King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was the son of David, the king of Israel. And if you turn back to 1 Kings, you learn that Solomon was actually one of the wisest people in human history. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, I believe, starting in verse 5, it says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And so God comes to Solomon. He says, I'll give you anything. And then skipping down to verse 8, Solomon says, Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And so Solomon asks for wisdom from the Lord. He's the king of Israel. He's like, how can I lead these people? I need to know what is good. I need to know what is evil. So Lord, guide me that. Give me that wisdom that I can lead these people and judge between them and lead this nation. And so verse 10 says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, because that's what I would have asked if the Lord came and said, what do you want? I'd say, how big of a check do you have? <laughs> yourself, long life or riches are the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. And so God supernaturally blesses Solomon with wisdom. Solomon is the most wise man in the Bible not named Jesus. Solomon has been given great wisdom, and therefore, it's not a surprise that the books of the Bible that he wrote are classified as wisdom literature. Solomon wrote almost all of the Proverbs, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he wrote the book of the Song of Solomon. And as you read through the, uh, as you read through the scriptures, there's those rest of those verses for you, as you read through the, the rest of the scriptures, there in 1 Kings about the life of Solomon, you find that Solomon, even though he's the wisest man, so that none was before him like him and after him like him, even though he's so wise, Solomon does something incredibly foolish. And that's he's got idols before the Lord. And Solomon's primary idol is women. Romance. He's out collecting him. He's got as many as he can find. He takes them from wherever he can get them, from in Israel, outside of Israel, far away. He's got a ton of different women, and he loves them more than the Lord. That's why he's breaking the Lord's commandments and doing that. He values them over his God. And so it's no surprise when they come to him and they say, I worship a different God. You took me from Moab. You took me from wherever. That They say, I want a temple in Israel to worship my God since you brought me here. And so Solomon says, okay. 
And so Solomon is responsible as you're reading this. The man who's, he's got a heart after the Lord, but he's got idols in his life and it leads him away from God. And all of a sudden he's now leading others away from God as well. He prayed for wisdom to know what is good and what is wrong. He knows what he's doing. God blessed him with that wisdom. He knows what he's doing is wrong, but he's now responsible for leading other people away from the Lord as well. And you read that and you're like, Solomon, what's wrong with you? How can he be so small-minded? You're the wisest guy on earth. What are you doing? You have to know what you're doing. And of course he does. And we laugh at him, the wisest man on earth, making these foolish decisions. But interestingly enough, you don't have to be the wisest person on earth to know when you're doing evil. You don't have to be the wisest person on earth to know when you're not following God. And we laughed at Solomon, but we don't, realize that we're doing the same thing every single time that we fail to follow the Lord. We know better. We're doing the same stuff. Every time that we put something in between us and the Lord, every time we put our own needs and our own selfishness above serving him, we're doing the same thing as King Solomon. And we have idols in our life as well. We look at Solomon and we scream, how could you not know better? The thing is, he does know better. He just has idols. And whenever we fail to follow the Lord, it's the same thing. We know better. We just have idols before the Lord that we love more than him that need to be brought down. And so we're going to be reading through King Solomon's journey as he pursues all of the different idols under the sun and looks for fulfillment and meaning in them. And we're going to reflect and say, what idols do I have before the Lord? What have I put before God? And for Solomon, it's not just women. As he goes through and starts turning away from the Lord, he starts seeking fulfillment in all the things under the sun apart from God. And so we're going to read this book at the end of his life. He writes this book, and he looks back after he departed, walking away from God, and he's going to take us through his journey of going and trying to find fulfillment in all of these different idols, and then his journey back to the Lord. And as we read this, Solomon really in this book, he sets out to answer really the most important question, the biggest question, where is meaning in life? What is it all for? What is valuable enough for us to live for? And so let's keep reading here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Keep reading in verse 2. What's it all for, Solomon? You've done it all. You're the richest individual. I mean, this guy spared no expense. He's the richest person contextually to probably ever exist. He has the resources to pursue and do anything he wants, and he did it all. Solomon, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? What is valuable? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. The Hebrew word for vanity is habel. It means vapor or breath. It means figurative vanity. Here today, gone the next. Pointlessness, vapidness, nothing. It's all nothing. It's pointless. And some of you came coming here feeling that. You're like, yeah, I was surprised the wisest man in the world agrees with me. So that's it. We got a little time to kill. I guess that's kind of the shortest sermon ever. I guess we answered the question. Kids won't be done for a while, um, but let's pray. Uh, well, actually, before we pray, before we close, let's, let's ask ourselves, why is this in here? Let's keep reading. Let's see 
I thought there was meaning and purpose in life, right? Isn't the Bible all about what's meaningful and what's purposeful? So let's, before we, before we close, let's go and we'll keep reading and figure out why this is in the Christian Bible and how this fits with all of the rest of the scriptures. And so keeping going in verse 3, Solomon says, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And so Solomon's like, I've done it all. I've done everything. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. And he starts off with his career. Does he have an important career? Does Solomon have a valuable career? Do people follow him, look to him for direction and guidance, honor him, esteem him? Yeah, he's the king. He's got the best career you can have. He makes the decisions. He runs the show. He's got the best job there is. And even he says, you know, under the sun, what's the point of it? What's the point of all this work? It's here one day, gone the next. And some of you are sitting there and you're like, I can really relate to that. I hate my job. I feel separated from God from the moment I start on Monday morning to the moment I return Friday afternoon, I hear you, Solomon. It's what a, what a bunch of habel that is. And for some of you, you're desperate to get some of, you know, you look for, you're not into making your career your idol. You come on Sunday morning worshiping the Lord, and your, your goal is to try to get some of that Holy Spirit that you have on Sunday morning to get into your life Monday through Friday to give you strength to get it through. And if that's you, next, I was planning out the year for sermons next, at the end of next summer, we're going to do a sermon series called Work is Worship. And even though we can't find ultimate meaning in our worship, we can bring the Lord into our work and have strength and even joy at work. And so I know that's far away. If you've been toiling at your job, if you're miserable, you've only got another year to go before we cover that in a sermon series. Some of us hate our job. We would never be tempted to try to find ultimate meaning in our job. But others of us, we love our job. Like King Solomon, we get, you can get value from something like that when people look to you and you direct them and you make the decisions and you have the resources. And, and at Solomon, when he thinks big enough, he doesn't find fulfillment in our job. And if that's us, if we've got an idol of our job before the Lord, then we need to ask ourselves, we need to start thinking bigger. That's a terrible idol to have. What happens if your company or your job or your workplace, what if you, you don't succeed this week when you go in? What if things turn? What will you do then? What happens when you toil for that job for, for 30, 40 years and you don't want to give it up and they come to you and say, it's time. So I don't want to go. They say, it's time for you to go. What are you going to do then? If that's your idol, if you're thinking so small that your life is about your career, you need to start thinking bigger now to prepare. And King Solomon's a big thinker, and he looks at it and he says, as great as my job is, I've got the greatest job in the land. It's still not fulfilling. There's got to be something more. And we need to think bigger, else we're going to be crushed. And maybe you're not about your job. Maybe you're about your family. A generation goes, he says, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. They just come and go. You know, I tried to figure out where my last name came from, and I got a list of our ancestors. We got all the history we could find, and for almost everybody, 
All we have is just a name. We've got a story about maybe great-grandpa, maybe one story about great-grandma on the other side. That's it. This is our family. These are the people we came from. We don't know them. We don't remember them. They came. They went. And I love my family. I mean, if you love your family, if you've got an idol of your family, what do you do? Well, you make sure to get that message out on social media all the time. I know we do. Get everybody dressed. Get them, get them in the same magic clothes. Let's take some pictures. Let's put on Facebook so everybody can see how adorable we are. There's my family. I love them. Man, do I love them. My goodness, I love that one. He's my oldest boy. It's just the best. There's my oldest girl. She's, a, she's the most adorable helper. She's just like a little mama. She's taking care of all her brothers and sisters. And then I got my youngest son. He's a ton of fun. Then I got my little girl. She just adores me. And I got this cute little baby. I love my family. It's tempting to make your family even an idol. Your family's an excellent thing. Your career is an excellent thing. Here's the thing, though. The more noble the idol the more easy it is for Satan to deceive us with that and get us to put it in between us and the Lord. I say, it's my family. How can I not put it above the Lord? It's my family when it comes time for the birthday party or whatever and I'm supposed to be doing something for the Lord. Well, I'll do this over here. It's the soccer game. I got to watch him play soccer. I know I'm in church like, you know, 20% of the time because we got the soccer game and the birthday party, but it's my family. The Lord understands. The more noble idol, the more easy it is for Satan to get us to put that in between us and Jesus. The more noble the idol, the easy it is for Satan to separate us from the Lord with it. And King Solomon is a big thinker. Even my family a generation comes, a generation goes, and they come and they're gone. If we're tempted to make the loved ones in our life our idols, they don't deserve that kind of pressure. They can't fulfill us. That's unfair to them. And we better start thinking bigger because otherwise we're going to be crushed. I love that one right there. But what happens when she comes down in a few years and she's not fit to go out in that outfit, and I say, sweetheart, you got to go upstairs and change, and she says, I hate you, dad. If I got an idol of my family, I'm going to be crushed, or else I'm just not going to avoid that. I'm going to do a disservice to my family, because I'm never going to parent them. I'm going to try to be their friend, be their, the person that they love. I'm going to seek their approval, rather than guiding them in the Lord, and I'm either going to be crushed or do a ter terrible job parenting. I love that one right there. But what happens when he marries a woman from out of town and then Thanksgiving rolls around and she says they got to go to his, her family for Thanksgiving and he chooses them over us. If I've got an idol of my family, I'm going to be crushed and then I'm going to start messing with things and talking about people behind their back and causing division. They don't deserve that. And I deserve better as well, as great as my family is. If you think big enough, you realize, like, this is only going to last so long anyway, even if it is perfect, which it won't be. And what's the point of it all? 
Solomon says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. I feel like that's most of my days. I go around and around. I get done. What did I do? I blew a tire this Friday. And I went around and around. You know, I don't have all my tools, right? Staying in a friend's house, thank God for that, but all my stuff is in boxes. I can't find anything. I go around and around. I get this tool. I, get that. I finally get the tire off. It was stuck. I had to call friends. How do you get that? I'm kicking it as hard as I can. In the video on YouTube, he just pops it right off. Then I try to get the spare tire down. I get the spare tire down. It's caught. It's stuck. The little boot is like welded onto that thing. I got to get a flathead screwed on. I'm trying to get it off. I finally get the spare out. I get it out. The spare is flat. I get the spare out of my other vehicle. I try it. It's not the same size. They're both minivans. What are we doing? It's all a vapor. What a bunch of habel. The wind does the same thing. It just goes around and around. At the end of the day, what did it accomplish? Finally, I get a tire back on. Twelve hours later, I'm in the same place as I was yesterday. Hooray! (laughs) He says, all the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. And just like any big thinker, you look for fulfillment, it doesn't fill you. To the place where the streams flow, where they flow again, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear is filled with hearing. And some of you are there. You went to school. You did the work. You spent the money. You got the degree. And you couldn't find a job in the field. Maybe you did get the career. You just took you a little while longer. You spent your whole life toiling, slaving for that company. And they said, it's time for you to go. Maybe you... Pursued that person. They were gorgeous. They were fantastic. You convinced them to marry you. Three weeks later, you're wondering, why did we go to all that? This person is not the person I thought it was. Maybe you looked for fulfillment in that loving relationship. And that person died. Or that person changed. Maybe you took time to care for your health. You exercised. You ate right. And you got sick Anyway, and you're like, it's all weariness. None of this is fulfilling. Is, this, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And everything gets old. And in verse 12, I, the preacher, he says, I've been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I've applied my heart to seek out, to search out by wisdom. All that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving under the wind. And so here, the message of Ecclesiastes, it is dark It is depressing if you've ever woken up and said, I don't want to live. I don't want to get out of bed. There's no point to any of this. I don't want to be here. I feel sick. I don't want to do this. Lord, take me now. 
right? If you've ever felt like that, King Solomon can relate. And it's dark. It's a dark message. But there is a clue in Ecclesiastes that as we read, we start to see what Solomon is doing. And it's the term under heaven or the term under the sun. It occurs 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's 12 chapters. It's like two and a half times every chapter. We already read it in verse 3 as he toils under the sun. And what that means is a, a life separated from God, under the sun. Where is God? He's above the sun. If you're thinking small, if your focus is under the sun, then yeah, it's all pointless. It's all purposeless. And Solomon, he's got all the resources in the world. He's done all the things you can do. He's got the t-shirt. I've been there, done that. And he says it's all pointless. That phrase, under the sun, it means a life lived by whatever limited understanding you can gather, apart from any revelation from God. A life lived under the sun is is done whatever you think best, without any input or word from the Lord. A life as the world sees it, not as God sees it. Solomon's had the freedom and resources to try it all. And he says, under the sun, apart from God, it's all pointless. Now, when you read the Gospels, you know, you get this vivid picture of Jesus Christ because he's present, right? You read about him, his teaching, his heart in healing, and you learn about the Lord. And when you're suffering, you look at Jesus, and you look at his healing, you look at his heart for healing, and you know that God is with you, and he knows that he wants your health, you know that he wants your safety, you know that he wants your Blessings, and you learn about Jesus from his presence in the Gospels. A great teaching tool is actually to learn about something by studying its opposite. And that's what Solomon has done in his life. And therefore, in Ecclesiastes, you learn about the Lord not from his presence, but you learn about him from his absence. And Solomon talks about all these different areas of life that he's looked to fulfill them and how empty they are absent Jesus. And this is an important thing to do. You know, a good friend of mine, uh, when I first met him, he stood up and he shared his testimony. And he said, you know, I grew up in a broken home. And I went from this home to that home. And there was always drugs involved. And my mom was in this relationship and that relationship. And I suffered here and there. And I had this thing. And he goes, actually, that is not my testimony at all. I didn't experience a single one of those things. And I give all the glory to the Lord. Because my parents followed him, and they taught me to follow him, and my church taught me to follow Jesus. And so I've been spared all of that suffering because of the Lord. And for those of us who've got a testimony like that, if we're raised in the church, if we've known the Lord, then we need to read the book of Ecclesiastes, because we need to be thinking about what life is apart from God. We need to be hearing the words of someone who's lived a life apart from God so that we don't take it for granted because it becomes a new normal. How often do parents love the Lord, come to the Lord, raise their kids to know the Lord, their kids take it for granted, and they've got a half-hearted faith at best as they grow up. And Solomon's put the work in. He had a half-hearted faith, and he followed it to its logical conclusion. I'm going to go somewhere else and do something else. And if we've grown up in the church, we need to hear King Solomon's words and think about how we need to appreciate the presence of God in our life. 
And for those of people who have not found the Lord, they need to think big like King Solomon's challenging them. They need to read Ecclesiastes so, so that it shakes them to the core and they start thinking about the ultimate meaning and purpose and take their eyes above this small focus of theirs onto the big picture to start thinking about what this life is all about. So that's why Ecclesiastes is in here. The Lord is teaching us about himself from his absence. There are many good things in life. But apart from God, none of them are big enough to bring true lasting meaning. A few years ago, Richard Dawkins made a a movie called The Meaning of Life. Raise your hand if you've heard of Richard Dawkins. Anybody know who the guy is anymore? A few people, about half of us probably. Now, Richard Dawkins is probably still the, the face of godlessness. He's a scientist. He just, I mean, he's got a sad story. Uh, if I remember right, he, had, he suffered at the hands of people who were believers, and he's basically spent his whole life hating, visibly hating religion, and especially Christianity. He's made himself the, the face of atheism, the scientist. And he had three other friends, and they called themselves the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they were here to destroy religion. And I really enjoy listening to this man talk because I learn about God from his absence. Here's a man who has spent his whole life trying to make godlessness a virtue, and he, he's so tired of hearing people say, you've got no meaning to life. So he made a video called The Meaning of Life. And he brought on, I imagine, the best individual, because if you're making a video called The Meaning of Life, wouldn't you bring in the best individual to come and talk about it with you? He brought in one of the top minds of our generation, the man who played Michael Scott in the British version of The Office, Ricky Gervais. And we have that video for you on Facebook. You know, sometimes if there's a good video clip that we, you know, want to show you, we'll, we'll put it on our Facebook page. If you're not friends with Harrisonville Community Church on Facebook, make sure to go friend us, and then you can kind of watch those and start thinking about stuff the day before the sermon. And so we put this clip online, and you can go watch it. Now, I love Ricky Gervais, actually. He's a very creative thinker. I can't imagine he, I guess he must be the best that Richard Dawkins has to bring and turn to to this time. But he sits down, he asks Ricky Gervais, he asked him, what is the meaning of life? The video says this. Dawkins says, why does a 21st century British atheist get up in the morning? And Ricky Gervais says, well, I think you have to have worth. You have to feel yourself that you have worth. Friends, family, a loving relationship, just because we're human. And for me personally, something creative. It doesn't have to be painting the Sistine Chapel. It could be gardening, But I think you have to do something and enjoy it. And you have to fill your free time and look back and say, I did that. These are all reasons to stay around as long as you can. And I watched this video and I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Are you kidding? If I talked like that, you'd all be gone. Not a single one of you would come back next week. What is he saying? This is what he's offering people? Are you kidding me? They made a video of this. I'm like, who spent the money? Didn't they come up with something beforehand? Are they winging it? Because you got to have something better than that. There's 7 billion people on this planet. How many of them would say they don't have a loving relationship which fulfills them? Many, if not most, 
Many people spend their life looking for this fulfilling, loving relationship. They go to one person and it fails. They go to the next and it fails. They go to the next and it fails. They might find it, but then that person dies. Sarah and I, we sat down to get life insurance one time, and we sit down with a guy, and he comes over, and he says, yeah, and so, you know, Sarah, when, uh, when Jeremy goes this way, you'll be taken care of, and all of a sudden, it hit her. She wasn't expecting that, and she started crying at the table, right, because, I mean, who wants that? If you finally find that loving relationship, well, they're going to go and die. That's what we all do. Which one of us is going to be left? And at that time, have we lost meaning in our life? According to Rick or Gervais, no, thank God. You still got carrots. Grow some carrots. That's what he's telling you. Are you kidding? Who's buying this? Unless you got carrots for brains. This is the meaning of life apart from God that they're offering me? So many people have tried it and found it failed already. Who's buying this? And thank God we've got something else to offer people. I had a person call me after their loved one and their loving relationship ended. And I've known this person for a long time. I gently asked them, why aren't you going to church? When was the last time you've been at church? Finally, they call one day and they say, it's over. And they say, what do you do? I had to just, Jesus! What do you think I've been telling? Because if you have that as your foundation, you're going to be crushed. But if you've got the Lord, thank God we've got something else to offer you. Because if you love the Lord, then things will come and go and it'll be hard because we're not perfect. But if we got our faith ultimately in him, we'll have a foundation and we're going to be fine. We're going to be all right. It's not easy. Times we're going to find that our faith is not stronger than our idol, or our idol is going to be challenged, we're going to lose our career, we're going to have somebody get sick in our life, we're going to go, oh my goodness, where was the Lord? And then we're going to realize that he didn't leave him, we, he didn't leave us, we left him, and that we've got to grow in our faith. That's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying when we do it, when we put our faith in the Lord, we've got a foundation to get us through anything. People who don't know the Lord or follow him, they convince themselves that they can find meaning in growing some carrots. And divers is a diversion. And even your marriage, even your children, you can use them as diversions. Now, these things are all great things. But apart from the Lord, they're just diversions to distract you that you got no meaning to your life. And if you're a small thinker, if you only think, if your box is only as big as a carrot, then you're, you're going to try to convince us, think smaller, think smaller until I'm fulfilled. But if you're a big thinker, if you're like Solomon, you need something more. If you're like me, you need something more. Let's keep going down to verse 
17, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And all my life, Richard Dawkins, he's much older than me. He's been around all my life, the scientist. He spread the message that you and I, we are small-minded people who simply aren't intelligent enough or courageous enough to think big enough to break free from our religious upbringing. And we're just never people who have intellectually wrestled with the questions that science has brought. And now that's another sermon for another time. But Christians have certainly done that. Not everyone, but many of them. And what I see instead is I think the situation is completely opposite. I look at these small-minded people in that video talking about how to try to find meaning through carrots, and I see people restricting their intellect because it's too hard for them to be wise. It's too hard for them to have that type of thinking, that big thinking. And so they sit there and they try to keep it small, because they can't face the reality that apart from God, there is no meaning. That's not something that they can't face. So they're small-minded, small-thinking people. And we need to challenge ourselves, whether we're believers or not. If we're Christians, we need to challenge ourselves to think bigger than what Satan has got us and our eyes focused on today to focus on the Lord. And for unbelievers, we need to think bigger about what's going to happen beyond today. And Richard Dawkins asks him, why do you get out of bed in the morning? And this is the answer he gives. And Solomon has tried his answer. He's tried all of the answers. He's incredibly intelligent, so none of them satisfy him. It's incredibly difficult to be a big thinker. Because you find that none of these things satisfy, but at the end of his journey, King Solomon, let's go to the end of the book we're going to continue on in the sermon series, but let's just go to the end today. So we're ending on the high note. Solomon comes up with the wisest, the wisest man with the wisest words ever written. In verse 12, what he says is, the end of the matter, this is the bottom line. It's fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Reminds me of the proverb that Solomon wrote where he says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. If you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, fear the Lord. That's where your life will come from. That one may turn away from the snares of death. Solomon says, fear God, because he's going to judge every secret thing. Now, the fear of God is a great concept. It doesn't mean we fear God like we're going to fear the scary things that they try to pop out at us at Halloween, blood covered, whatever. That's not how the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is more like we're standing at the Grand Canyon, and you stand there, and it's gorgeous, and it's huge, and if you make one wrong step, you're done. That's how big this thing is. That's how powerful it is. But if you stand on the edge... I mean, I've never stood here and just fallen down. You're totally safe if you respect it. 
And that's the Lord. We should fear. We should fear if we cross God. That's how big and powerful he is. But if we fear him and keep his commandments, we've got nothing, nothing to fear. And Solomon says the meaning of life is God's judgment. Now, if you're an unbeliever, that's a very, or if you're a believer who's not sure of your faith, that's a very frightening proposition. I would fear God if I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ for all the ways that I have broken his commandments. For the believer, God's judgment is not a scary time. It's a wonderful time. I can't wait for God's judgment. Read through the Psalms. That's all David says. Come and judge me. Judge us. Come and return, Lord. Judge Because he knows he's forgiven of all his sins. And we stand before the Lord if our faith is in Jesus. And God says, why should I let you into heaven? We say, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did. God says, why shouldn't I send you to hell? Well, because I'm forgiven through Jesus. If we say that, then God's judgment is a fantastic time. Because he won't bring up any of our evil, all the ways we failed him. It's all forgiven and gone. And instead, what we'll get to do at God's judgment is we'll get to enjoy his pleasure with us for every way we followed him. We'll get to enjoy his pleasure with us for every way we followed him for an eternity. Now, that's the reason why I came to the Lord, because just like Richard Dawkins says, he says, why does an atheist get up in the morning? I sat there and I thought, I don't know. I tried carrots. They weren't that great. I'm still looking for a loving relationship. I don't have them. Does that mean I have no meaning? It sure feels like I have no meaning. What was that song we sang where it said, uh, uh, Ricky Gervais says, you got to feel like you got worth. And the song we sang, uh, when I felt like I had no worth, you gave it all for me. That's value. I mean, it feels great if you tell me you love me. But that's nothing compared to what the Lord tells me on the cross. Whenever I'm looking for value, whenever I'm looking for worth, I don't look to another individual. I look to the cross of Jesus Christ, and I say I can measure his love by his sacrifice. It's a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And God's judgment for me is a reason to get out of bed in the morning. With God, it's not all habel. It's not a vapor. It doesn't just come and go. You're not a vapor. What I do isn't a vapor. What you do to me isn't a vapor. It all matters. Actually, apart from God, yeah, it's all, if you live under the sun, it's all just meaningless. But with the Lord, he's going to nail down every single thing that has ever happened. And he's going to demand an account And so I get out of the bed of the morning with great joy now because instead of it all being a meaningless vapor, instead everything I do matters for all eternity. And when I stand before the Lord, I don't got to fear how I'm going to fail him that day, which I am. I'm going to fail him. I'm going to sin. I'm going to do different things. But thank God for Jesus Christ. And I get out of bed knowing that all those things will be removed and forgiven that day. And if I manage to follow him in even a little way, in even a little way that day, What's going to happen is I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, on October 10th of 2021, you did this to follow me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And God is eternal and heaven is eternal. And I'll get to enjoy God's pleasure with me for following him for an eternity. Even something small for an eternity ends up to be pretty darn great. And I get to do that every day. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. 
every single thing I do has eternal meaning. And that's what we have in the Lord. And if you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, what the Lord has done for me, he can do for you. Think about God's judgment. Everything I do today is going to matter, even if it's something small. The Lord's going to look down, he said, in 1991, when you picked your friend up from school and you're on the way home, you invited him to youth group, and he came, and he's here now. Well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In 2008, you loved me enough, and you loved your neighbor enough to spend 12 months trying to get to know that person so that you could try to share them Share me with them and invite them into a relationship with me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Every day I've got meaning. Solomon says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Under the sun, it's all vanity. Above the sun, thinking big enough, it all matters. And any meaning apart from The Lord is vanity. It is your own vain attempt to create your own personal meaning. And it fails. Just as hard as we try to escape death, that fails. Without God, we're no one. Without God, we're nobody. We're going nowhere. And we're going to end up there fairly soon. But with God, we are people who are created by God. We're loved by God. We have good things to do here, down here, ordained by God every single day. We have that opportunity, and we'll get to enjoy those things for all eternity. It's only, I tried to boil this down into a a great soundbite. The other day, I came up with a good soundbite. I said, are you a scroller or a scholar? I was like, people will remember that. This one, I don't know if it will remember so easy, because I couldn't think of like four words that could describe it, but sometimes life is complex. And I want you to remember this. It's only the existence of God, his creation, his justice and his salvation that bring meaning to life. It's those three things. And it can't be any smaller than those three things. The Westminster Confession, a bunch of Christians in 1646 got together and they came up with something called the Westminster Confession. They did a pretty good job. They wanted to sum it all up. And so they said, what is the chief end of man? What's the end purpose? What are we all here for? They said it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if we've got the Lord as our idol, if he's our God, we'll experience that enjoyment forever. And when the idols crash and burn, we'll still have what we worship and what we have joy in. And this is why heaven is so fulfilling. There will always be more of God's pleasure to enjoy. And I think Christians, we know this, but then in practice, we keep thinking, well, I'll be happier when. I'll be happier when we get that house. I'll be happier when when I'm healthy. I'll be happier when I get that car. And essentially, we're just like poor Solomons on the same journey, yet with less resources. And instead of just trying to repeat what he's done, We need to change our focus. We need to think bigger and think about the Lord primarily. And what idol has Satan been distracting you with? And what do you need to do in your life to think big 
so that your life, you can have life beyond. The fear of the Lord will bring you life beyond the temporary enjoyment that idol is bringing you now. What do you have to do to think bigger? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we don't have to toil down here by ourselves under the sun, but you've come to us through Jesus Christ. You've given us your word and you've given us your son, and we don't have to go through life trying to invent our own meaning, our own subjective purposes, trying to think small enough to be fulfilled, but instead we can dare to think big enough because there is a safety net. There is a savior there. We can step out and we can think bigger and love more than we imagined because we've thought outside of our idols and our thinking has come to you. Lord, thank you for giving us that insight to those of us under the sun. Thank you for giving us a perspective from above the sun so that we may have the fear of the Lord, that we may know your goodness and your judgment and find meaning and fulfillment in every single day because every single day we have the opportunity to do something to please you and therefore then experience your enjoyment with us for that forever. Lord, if we're struggling, if we're trying to find meaning, if we're struggling getting out of bed, Lord, I pray that you would connect this message with our hearts right now. That tomorrow when we get up, we can remember your word. That today, we've been given the opportunity to know you, to love you, to follow you to succeed in doing something to please you, which will bring eternal meaning and joy. Heavenly Father, I pray for those in our lives who don't know you as well. Help us to think about how to challenge them to think bigger also, that they may know you and have this purpose and meaning to their lives also. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.